Hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and we have a treat for you today. A long time coming. We have writer, producer, and all-around excellent individual, uh, Serena Khan, on the podcast today. So let's hop into the bio. Uh, Serena is an Indian-American independent producer and writer and has forged her own path in entertainment. Born into a prominent filmmaking family from India, she grew up on Bollywood film sets, learning the craft from a different perspective at a very young age. When she set out to produce her first feature film titled Adult Interference, it took her only eight weeks to go from script to principal photography, including financing, packaging, and pre-production. The film went on to win the Audience Award at the Nashville Film Festival. Within just a year of shooting her first film, she created, wrote, and developed the India-U.S. crossover television series, Con Artist, set to shoot in both countries and in multiple languages. In this endeavor, she became a pioneer, successfully blending the Eastern and Western worlds of television in a way never seen before. Additionally, on the TV side, after a highly competitive situation, Khan acquired the rights to two of the most prominent operatives in wildlife crime and traveled with them on an undercover research trip to South Africa. She then partnered with WIP, that's spelled W-I-I-P. It's a CAA-backed studio run by Paul Lee. She partnered with WIP on the international crime anthology series, The Last Savage. In feature films, in feature films, Serena is producing The Wonder Girls, The script won the Grand Jury Prize at Slamdance and is an honoree for the Nichols Fellowship. It's written and directed by Anthony Mendel and stars Isabella Vidovic. She is also producing a feature adaptation of Your Father's Where Are They? and The Prophets Do They Live Forever by best-selling author Dave Edgers. Now, on the writing side, Serena penned the multi-generational female comedy Nana, which she is producing with $500 million producer Barry Levine. She's also writing her first graphic novel edited by David Wall for IDW Publishing and set to be adapted into a TV series produced with Barry Levine and John Levin of Forward. Serena attended the University of Southern California, where she earned her BFA in theater and cinema and has a strong focus on crossing cultures through film and television. She is currently represented by CAA as well. And now, without further ado, I give you the uber-focused and hard-working producer and writer, Serena Khan. You're listening to Make It podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Serena Khan. I am a producer and writer. 
Um, I most recently worked on a feature film called Wild Man as a producer, actually with Chris, uh, that is being released this summer. And I am now currently working on actually a few different TV series set up at, at different studios um, and a few different feature films. Absolutely wonderful to have you on the podcast, Serena. And, and are we correct in saying that Wild Man is now going to be called Adult Interference? Oh my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it is called Adult <laughs> Interference. It was called Wild Man for so long that, um, <laughs> yes, you, just, you get stuck on something. I still like Wild Man better. Interference. I still like Wild yeah. Man better just because it has less syllables. Yeah, it is easier to say. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to dig into to you a little bit here. I know we spent the, this is why it's so much fun um, and into your career and, and all your work, your past. This is why it's so fun to talk to you because you can spend 10 minutes and I'll just fly by just talking about the industry, just talking about, you know, our passions and, and uh, around film. And it's been, it's been such a fun ride. I, I, I thought about in my research for this interview, Serena, I thought about uh, us and I was thinking, it is so strange that I've known this individual for four years now. And <laughs> like that is, that is just flown by. And um, yeah, and we've had, we've had some film, we've had some film adventures together for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, but, to, but I, I hadn't really thought about or considered that I'd known you for four, for just about exactly four years now. And, um, you know, f three or four years, uh, something like that. And, 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 um, how, how cool that's been and, and, uh, you know, sort of watching you maturate, watching you grow and, and getting to watch and, and be, uh, a contributor, but also sort of a fan of yours, um, um, as you, as you go through this, this business and you, you talked about all the projects you're working on, that is actually your calling card. And, uh, me and you share a lot of similar philosophies and principles in life around how you work and educate yourself. And that's what makes it you know easy for me, at least. But you're a very you're, you're known as someone who gets it done, is a very, very hard worker. And that started for you young with your dad, BJ Khan, uh, mm -hmm. when you found yourself on the set of, of Bollywood. So what was that first uh, film experience like and what was the moment? That, that you said, ooh, I, I think I want to do this with the rest of my life. Well, I remember that. I mean, I remember that moment crystal clear. Um, I was, you know, my father was a, was a fairly prominent filmmaker uh, in Bollywood in the Indian film industry. And when I was a little girl, we used to travel to India um, and travel on his film sets. And we just got to hang out on these crazy, you know, Bollywood film sets, which were pretty crazy. Um, but you know, he did make this one film, which was called Bollywood. It was based on Shashi Tharoor's novel show business. Shashi at the time was the undersecretary general of the United Nations. Um, it's now a member of Indian parliament, but that book was actually a satire of Indian cinema. And so my father wow. set out to make the first feature ever to cross over from India to the U S in the sense that it was shot entirely in the Bollywood style and actually a satire of Indian cinema, but shot entirely in English. And um, we can get into what happened in that film after. But when I was, uh, I was on set and I was about, I think I was about nine years old. And it was um, at the Samod Palace in Jaipur. And the Samod Palace is like one of a thousand places in the world to see before you die. And it's just this 
stunning um, old palace. And we had the entire thing as, as the film set. So, you know, we had, my father had basically shut down the whole place and, and rented it out for however long we were shooting there. And uh, I remember one morning coming down the, this front of the, the giant palace steps and sitting in my dad's director's chair and, and looking up and there was, you know, painted elephants and uh, fire breathers and midgets and, and you know, two, 200 dancers. And it was just, you know, and chai wallas. And it was just this crazy, um, <laughs> this crazy, beautiful scene. And, you know, I remember sitting behind the actor's chairs and kind of like listening to them rub on their lines and just being there and seeing this whole, this whole masterpiece <laughs> unfold, um, you know, and remembering the moment that my dad called action and I was like, Oh, I was like, this is, I just kind of knew. I mean, that was it. And I didn't know necessarily what I wanted to do in that crazy world, but I knew it was something. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Cause you were nine. You just yeah. thought like you could sort of etch out the realities of yeah. life and in, in, in the creative world. But but you had that feeling. You had that feeling of, of yeah. I had that feeling. I mean, yeah. And I, you know, I started in theater, and I got my BFA in theater at USC, and I, I was an actor for many years before I, I transitioned into producing and writing. And I just found as an actor, you know, when I started, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm half Indian. There, there were very few parts for ethnic women. I mean, it was not, it was not the way it is now. That's for sure. And you know, it was really hard to kind of be in control of your own career. So. I just started writing and uh, I wrote and produced a short film um, that I raised like money on Kickstarter for, I think. And then uh, Stephanie actually, who directed one of the directors of adult interference, Stephanie um, Black. Stephanie Black. Yeah. Came to me and said, you know, I have this script. Maybe you want to help produce it. And that was adult interference. And that was my first reel. And I was like, yeah, let's go do this. <laughs> and that was like, that was my first foyer into producing. So, I mean, I, I've, you know, I had obviously been around the business my whole life, although in a very different way. Um, but I just kind of taught myself. I mean, you know, I went out and I raised money and helped put together a cast and put together a movie and made it. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. And that, I mean, that was, that was pretty much how I started in, in produce in the producing side was just by, by doing, by actually doing. And, you know, I had a really, I had a really interesting experience in my childhood because my father, uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, was financing a lot of his films through um, hash money, actually, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and was uh, arrested when I was 12. So right after Bollywood came out, he actually went to jail for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of taken away from that world for a bit, but, uh, you know, kind of obviously had per still pursued it on my own independently as an actor for a long time. And actually one of my big TV series right now that I'm taking out pitch in three weeks is based on my father's life. So I took that entire crazy life story and uh, turned it into a big international flashy TV series. <laughs> What's it so, called? Con artist, but ah. our last name, Con, K-H-A-N. Right. And you mentioned your ethnicity. You are Russian and Indian. Is that correct? Yeah, my mom is Russian Jewish and my dad is Indian Sikh. Awesome. Yeah, because you 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 do have um you you've kind of been called sort of uh I think I read somewhere that you were called like uh the millennials answer to Laura Croft 
because of your <laughs> exotic, your exotic looks. And, um, but it's also, you know, you're not, you know, you're smart. <laughs> you mentioned you went Thank to you. USC, um, yeah. but you speak at least three languages, right? Like you speak French, you speak English. Do you speak, uh, any other languages? You know, unfortunately, or? my father, my father never taught me Punjabi or Hindi, which I'm very upset with him about. And oh, I've made it. very clear my whole life. I mean, I can understand some for sure, but am I fluent in the language? Absolutely not at this stage, but I'm trying to learn. I mean, I am, I just got back from India. I've actually been spending a lot of time um, in other countries. I spent a lot of time in India. I was recently in South Africa on an undercover research trip investigating wildlife trafficking for one of my other TV projects. Um, so I, I have a pretty strong focus right now on cross-cultural and international content. Um, personally, I just think that we're in a really special place right now where people are there. You actually can reach obviously audiences around the world. And there is content that is consumed by, by multiple audiences. Yeah. It's not the, the Chinese and Indian market are so big now. Too. Yeah. Sorry to and, interject. And no, that's okay. And you know, I'm Indian and I, you know, I love it there and I feel, I really feel my roots when I'm there and I, and I feel a part of this world. Um, as well as a part of that world, as well as a part of this world. And I really, you know, almost like my father was trying to do to over 20 years ago, but the world was not ready, but you know, it is now it's really crossing cultures and, and bringing, bringing that in through, through art and and media and entertainment. And I think that that's a really, it's a really exciting place to, to play in right now. So to go back to the language question, I'm trying to learn right now, but it's, it's much harder as an adult to learn languages as it, than it was as a young child. So yeah, that is so true. And I just read that Duolingo valuation is like $700 million now. And so maybe they figured it out how to teach an old dog new tricks. Um, but because I mean, I, it's interesting because when I'm in India, you know, people do some, they assume that I speak the language, so they'll, they'll speak to me in it sometimes. And I do, I can understand a lot of it, but I can't respond. Yeah, that, that that's true. Like I, I was, yeah, I, when I was in uh, Guatemala a few years ago, uh, I could understand what was being said to me because um, not just knowing some of the words, but also context clues. Like when you're actually, when you're learning a language in your office or in a classroom or wherever on your headphones, you don't have the context clues that go with the language. And I think it slows you down. If you're actually in the place and you're in front of a person that's trying to communicate something to you, you will learn the words faster because of the context you're in, you know, and Mm -hmm. where, where you're trying to like, you know, where's the bathroom, (laughs) you know, like, 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 they will help you. You will learn the word bathroom quickly, right? Like you'll learn the sentence that gets you to the restroom, right? If you're yeah, there exactly. much yeah. faster than you will, like in a but sterile classroom. Yeah, of course. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 100%. So to be clear, you speak French and English then, <laughs> and you're dabbling yeah. in, in, in some of the Yeah. And my friend, and my French is, I'll tell you, not as great as it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> Well, don't worry. I there was this French uh, whiskey that I used to brag about on this podcast, and I, and I still do. And I mispronounced it for you know, for like a year straight. And someone corrected me and said, "Well, it's French, so it, it it's Bryn." And I was like, "Oh, 
Sorry. Yes. Cause I kept calling it Brene, but it's, it's Bren. And, and so I can't shame anyone on languages. I'm just, I, as much Spanish as I've taken, I should be able to, uh, I should be able to write a novel in Spanish, but no, mm-hmm. I can't. I well, can't I mean, really I think, that, you, you know, sentence. obviously in, you know, in, in contemporary, in our lives, you know, people are really busy. It becomes a function of necessity, I think, more than a function of practice, unless you're, you know, in the actual language or education space. It's, um, it's something you have to practice and actually be in the world to, to keep it going. Uh, yeah, or for, something for sure. you learned as an infant that your parents spoke, you know. Yeah. But my mom obviously didn't speak Punjabi or Hindi, so they never spoke it in our home. Mm. So it was never, you know, it was never something that was. That I, I mean, it, my father swore a lot in in Punjabi, but. <laughs> <laughs> did your did your did your mom speak Yiddish or speak uh, Russian? No, no, my mom just spoke English. My mom, my mom is third generation Russian, so oh, it was okay. her. Yeah. So she, she wasn't first generation, so she doesn't actually speak Russian, but um, she is Russian, but yeah. You mentioned uh, going to USC. Um, what a great school for film. It's what sort of, I, I always say film school isn't necessary unless you're going to USC, um, NYU, um, Berkeley. Yeah. There's some, there some schools that, that, have some programs that are worth going to there. I know I'm leaving out a few. Um, I, I like Watkins here in Nashville even, but, um, but USC is, is the one and it's tough to get into. And it's a great school. I've actually toured that entire campus and uh, was beautiful. Yeah. 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 It's right by Crenshaw. And, uh, but it's, 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 um, but it, it overwhelms you with the, um, with its sort of, with how grand it is. Um, but you were, but you, you were an East coaster first, right? Uh, yeah, so from, I, grew from up, Massachusetts. I grew up outside. Yeah. I grew up in Marble and Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. And, um, I was, you know, I got my BFA in theater, so I wasn't actually technically in the film program. I was in the theater program, but I, so I applied to, you know, I was an actor. I applied to all conservatories. I applied to like Juilliard, NYU, and basically everywhere in New York and then USC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was dead set on going to New York. It's interesting. My father really wanted me to go to USC, but wanted me to go for film school, not for theater school. But I wanted to be an actor, not a director. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, no, this is what I want to do. But it was a very small, I mean, there was only 18 people in my, in my class. I mean, it was a very small conservatory in a giant school of over 30,000 people. So I think at the time it was like the number two theater conservatory for undergrad in the country. And it was, um, I mean, it was a huge deal just to get, I mean, I remember, I think I actually had my mother call all the schools I got into. I was like, will you just double check and make sure that, that this is right? And I actually got it. <laughs> I had to go, I had to go to New York to audition for all of them. And, and I auditioned for USC in New York. And uh, it was, I mean, it was an incredible experience. I mean, obviously I did take cinema classes there and I worked a lot with the kids in the cinema department on their films and things like that because they used the actors. But you know, really my, my main education was in theater. So a lot of, you know, like I studied a lot of classical theater and Shakespeare and Brecht and, you know, um, all of the great playwrights. And really, I think I learned, cause you know, I'm also a writer now, but I really learned storytelling, um, from playwrights more so than, than film to be, to be honest from my, my original education. But, you know, I think that all story, great storytelling has the same, the same roots and the same inception and is really the same concept at the end of the day. So I think my, 
my acting education was, you know, it was very vital in terms of learning, learning how to tell a great story and also learning, you know, the emotional core of, of the different characters and, and working with actors now, uh, and directors now and everyone now, and, you know, just basically learning really how to manage those personalities and those very specific, um, personality traits and, and ways of working, which are, everyone works completely differently. And it's a very, it's a very nuanced, like producing is very nuanced in the sense that you really are managing a huge amount of personalities yes. <laughs> and, you know, and different temperaments and different ways of working artistically. And you're dealing with brilliant artists and also brilliant business minds. And, you know, sometimes the two do not see alike at all. Right. <laughs> and right. Really navigating, you know, and learning how to navigate that. And I think just like learning how to navigate human interaction is really such an important skill of producing that um, I think that that was probably one of the things I originally kind of latched onto was really, I just, I, I found, I mean, I, crafting the story and putting together the story, but then really putting together all the people who are going to tell the story um, is a whole other process in itself. Yeah. It's when you're producing, you know, Nick and I do advisory producing, um, you have to have a kaleidoscope of perspectives mm-hmm. and uh, without that, uh, you'll have a hard time communicating, uh, with, uh, everyone. You have to speak a language the people you're talking to can hear. And that is a, is a very nuanced skill indeed. So completely agree with that. Um, you know, the age old question, we have a lot of people that listen to this Serena that are either in school now for film or mm-hmm. theater, uh, or are considering it. With, you know, you going through it, looking back on it as objectively as possible, even though I know you're going to you have to be a little biased because you went Mm -hmm. Um, age old question. Should someone going into film go to film school? Honestly, going into acting, should they go into theater? Should they do that? There's no right answer to that question. I mean, there's just no I I hate to get that answer, but. I think that everyone has such a unique journey, a unique path, and that the most important thing is to not second guess yourself and to not beat yourself up about decisions that you think you may have made wrong, because quite frankly, any decision you make is in the past. So whatever path you've chosen and whatever whatever path you go on, you just really need to commit to that path, I, I think, and um, and do what works for you. I mean, everyone has everyone has different experiences. I mean, some of these schools are very challenging to get into. Some are very expensive. Some you know, not everyone has the opportunities to go to these schools. Some people don't do well in schools. I mean, everyone is a unique personality and has unique, a unique situation. And I think that at the end of the day, the most important thing is that whatever decision you make and whatever you do and however you decide to teach yourself, whether it's on the job or at school, that you just really commit to that and, and you, you do the best that you can in, in the path that you've chosen. And also know that that path may very well change or have a giant fork in the road somewhere. And you might be doing a giant U-turn and doing something else completely. And that's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. And you're very much a person who likes to live in the present. And we'll talk about that a little bit later uh, for sure. Uh, You mentioned being in, in plays at USC. You did 11 of them. Which one was your favorite? I think my favorite play that I was in was The House of Bernardo Alba by Lorca. One of my favorite playwrights, he's a, uh, an old Spanish playwright. Um, 
it was a very dark play, but uh, God, I loved that play. I think I was a junior. I, I don't remember. I think I was a junior. Maybe I was a sophomore in college. But I played Adela, and I was, played the youngest daughter. I mean, it was a, about a, a group of sisters and their mother, Bernarda Alba, mm-hmm. in this very intense family, female, all-women dynamic. And actually, the character of Adela ends up committing suicide um, in the script or in the play. And, I, you know, as a young actor, like, you just want to do the most extreme things. <laughs> you just want, the, <laughs> like, the most horrific parts that are just, like, blood-curdling and... And, you know, that you can really sink your teeth into. And uh, I love that play. And I love that part. Yeah, anyway. that, 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 is, that, is, that seems to be you. You know, it's watching some of your uh, reels from back in the day. And um, <laughs> I think, yeah, you love parts. There was a part in there where you're crying and, and uh, um, you can really ramp up your voice. And I, I love that about your acting. Uh, so that was fun for. I'm just a loud and, person in general. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can get loud. Like you're loud at parties. You're loud on set. <laughs> I am just loud. <laughs> like you, I, I, you, you know when Serena Khan enters the room. <laughs> this is true. Because <laughs> you'll hear something. It'll be like, and then it'll, and then you'll breeze by. So you'll see a blur as you walk past them with all your energy. Um, but yeah, I can see that about you. You definitely like to, to dig into parts that have, um, confrontation. Um, yeah. And I think it's the same thing now with, you know, with the things that I'm writing and producing, like I like things that I can sink my teeth into. I, I don't, you know, things that seem kind of simple and like, Oh, that's nice are not really that enjoyable to me. I mean, I, I yes, I, I do enjoy, like I, I've, I've written some comedies and I actually love them because, working on comedy is such a, it's, I think it's important to keep balance. Like if you can't just, I mean, some people do, but for me, I don't think I could just do intense drama and, and action all the time because I would, you just live in this one world. And like, I personally love comedies. I love romantic comedies. I mean, I, I do like, that's what I want to watch when I'm stressed out or when I'm tired or whatever, when I've had a rough day or even sometimes you have a great day, whatever it is. But I think, um, I think it's important to keep that balance, but at the same time, I do think that everything needs to really have a, a real driving force behind it and something that you really can really dig into and that there's so many layers to that you're constantly uncovering new things and there's, you know, constantly new ideas. And they, I think that at the end of the day, with most great stories, they're never fully, to- I mean, I don't think they're ever fully finished. I don't think when anyone delivers a film or when anyone delivers a show, like, there's like, there could have been more, like there's always could be more. And I think that those are, those are things that, that drive me too. like, I mean, some of my projects that I've been working on, I mean, a script has had, I don't even know, like 80 drafts. I mean, that's happened before. <laughs> I've, I've been on a script like that before. <laughs> but, but sometimes they get better. Sometimes they get worse. I mean, there's also some that they, there's like one draft is turned in and you're like, Oh my God, this is just like, it's perfect. But then it inevitably changes when you make it anyway. But I do think, um, yeah, I do think that 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 idea of like the onion constantly peeling back to get to something deeper uh, is is important in story. Yeah, and I think your secret weapon, uh, as far as performance goes, is the same for drama as it is for comedy, and that's in your in your eyes and the nonverbals that you can. Um, that's really where the magic with you is: is when you're not speaking and you're doing something with your face and your eyes, particularly that 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 tells you something that you're not saying. And so I, I particularly enjoyed that with you. 
Um, you mentioned this phrase three times in that last paragraph of, of words there, by the way. And I don't know if you realized it, but you said something you can sink your teeth into. And you really do sink your teeth into your parts. Is it, is it true that you uh, got a part that required a British accent and you never stopped speaking in a British accent for the entirety of the shoot? Uh, yeah, that was a movie I did. I mean, I haven't acted in a while, in a while but I, I, this is kind of, it's a fun talking about this or rethinking about all that. But yeah, no, there was this one part, it was a really small movie um, that I, you know, I, I was playing a British woman and the actual lead and it had dropped out like super close to the time. And my manager was like, you, you could do, I was like, great. And they're like, he's like, but they, they want someone as authentically who's actually British, like not just a British accent. who's actually British. I was like, so tell them I'm British. Like who cares? So right. tell them I'm up there. I could do the accent. So I went in an audition and pretended like I was from London and did the audition and went through the entire shoot and always speaking in that accent. And then the moment we wrapped, I started talking like this. And they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, I'm from Boston. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, th- that's the thing. I mean, in this business, too, it's so there's so much about perception, too, and people wanting a certain thing. And whether it's as an actor or a writer or director or being, you know, having to write whatever it is. And sometimes you just got to play the game. I mean, it's, yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of, it's a big game involved in this business. And I do think that, you know, you need to know how to play it a little bit too. Yeah. Nick and I talk about that. So every other week we do these things called uh, indie talks and I don't know if you've heard any mm-hmm. of them, but uh, we often talk about the different degrees and levels of the game and how many games are being played and, and how you can be aware of that and use it to your advantage. So you're, you're definitely right about, about that. No, no question. Um, about it I, i'm wondering is there a sentence that you say with a what's your favorite sentence to say in a british accent by the way god i haven't spoken to one in so long are you, you gonna make a, me do a british accent you, should, on you, this you, you, you ought to do one give me give me something to say and i'll try if i don't butcher it right now okay give me um, a sentence uh, i'll give you a sentence um let's see here uh um what would be a good British sentence to say? Um, or should I not make it stereotypical? Because I was going to make you say something along no, fish and, just fish just and chips. <laughs> no, just, along yeah. something along fish and chips. I don't know. How's that? That's pretty oh, good. I haven't uh, done one for quite some time, but I'm, I'm trying here. Yeah, it sounds like you're announcing a Manchester United game, a football game. Perfect. I'm, I'm announcing a Manchester United game here live on television. <laughs> How was that? It was good. It was good. It was pretty authentic, Ow. actually. <laughs> that's that's great. Um, you you uh, we talked about you sort of. There's a soul that kind of flows through you and all your work, and you know, actually, everything you sent uh, us and I've read of yours always has something that uh, is um, culturally significant. Um, uh, Thank you. Something that, yeah, that, that touches you mm-hmm. um, and you can see the direct line to yourself. And um, I'm curious, what, what movie makes you laugh every time you watch it? And what movie makes you cry every time you watch it? I love love, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it makes laugh and cry. <laughs> um, it's like, wow, I'm just all about the romantic comedies. Although I really, you know, anyway, um, 
No, uh, God, that's a, a, a tough question. I mean, the ones that make me like cry horrifically, I try not to watch more than once. I mean, I get it. I feel it. It's intense and amazing, and I don't want to do it again. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I love Love Actually. It makes me laugh and cry because I'm like so happy and like bittersweet too. I but, just watched uh, uh, an Aquafina movie last night named uh, The Farewell. And it makes you laugh and cry at the same time. It's amazing. Yeah. Those are the good ones. I mean, but I do think in terms of like actually having some sort of cultural message or something like that, like when I was, when I was a little girl, when I was like five or six years old, I, my, I was either going to be the first female president of the United States or an actress. This is my, my two goals. Right. Um, you can still do both. Quickly, I, I quick, well, I mean, I quickly realized like when my dad was, you know, in jail and I was, you know, half Indian. And I mean, obviously not, these things are, are all possible, but I, yeah, I like if Donald Trump can be the president, Serena Khan can be the I president. Know. I suppose, I suppose that's fair. I, I hope that's true. <laughs> um, I do think though, you know, it's interesting because I, I do think that you have almost more of a mouthpiece uh, in the arts than in anything else, because I mean, obviously certain like India has extreme censorship in their, in their cinema and, and so does China and other countries. And, Obviously, to some extent, the U.S., I mean, everywhere. But I do think that it is um, the best way to get a message across because when people are watching a movie or a TV show or whatever they're watching, they're not watching uh, a political message or a political speech or a social activism piece. They're watching something that is um, that's a story, that's entertainment, and that is, you know, about the human condition. But if you're smart enough and you know can can tell a story in the right way there is there is a large amount of of influence in that because if you make a person feel connected to something they might receive a message without knowing they're being given a message yeah and that's yes. really, that's that's the way that is the way that i try to communicate how i feel about the world um and have people actually be receptive to it Absolutely. I think, um, oh God, you know, I, I talk about this and Nick always gets mad because I bring up that I started in music too often, but, uh, it just, it becomes relevant, <laughs> but, but I was taught, uh, in music early on, just the power of music, that the fact that you're putting a message to a rhythm, to a melody that, that could, could get stuck in someone's head and then influence their behavior. Like, like, yeah. Music and film are that powerful. I mean, yeah. really, really, really powerful stuff. I mean, and, and when you see a movie like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, it's just a comedy to a lot of people. But the fact that I saw it when I was 11, it flipped my, like it changed my life. Like yeah. I, yeah. Like the ideas that it planted in me, it changed my life. Same with Princess Bride. Yeah. And also both of those movies are, are brilliant. But yeah, I mean, it's so true. These are, these are moments in your life that these are things that have a real profound effect because every, you, you fully experience it and you enjoy it or you don't enjoy it, but whatever it is, you feel it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not watching a man stand on a soapbox or a podium giving, giving an oration. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. And there's this endorphin rush when you do it right. And you, and you know that you gave that message, uh, to the consumer, to the audience, 
without noise in the middle. Right. And noise can be anything. It can be bad acting. It can be bad writing. Um, It could be bad writing, making a good actor act badly. (laughs) It could be the way uh, uh, a shot is, is, uh, you know, the angle on a shot, uh, you know, the sonic sonic quality of the location. So all that stuff is it comes into play with film. Um, You um, uh, have this thing where um, you appreciate uh, the classics. Uh, you you love classic rock and and older mm-hmm. music and older movies. Mm-hmm. What is it? What is it about you know some of these you know uh, older artists that uh, attracts you so much? In in old art hmm. in general, it's, works. It's, it's, that's, a, that's such an interesting question because that's definitely true. I am attracted to old like you know to I love classic rock. I love old blues. Um, I do love a lot of the classic films. Like I love. I love the old world things. And I think, I think it's, I don't know, but I, I think it's because, don't quote me on this, although I guess you are, but, <laughs> but, but I think it's because there's something, there's something really raw and authentic about the art and the things that were created in the past and the music. Like you think about the way that music is recorded now, uh, electronically as opposed to when it was in a, you know, just in, in one room and there was five musicians with, you know, the microphones and that was it. Mm-hmm. And it was just the way that these people were emoting into the mic or the way they were emoting into their guitar and, and that, that sound coming through. And, um, and, you know, we music then too, like it, people, it was about listening to an album. Like it was a whole story. It wasn't just a, you know, a snippet of a song or a beat on repeat. It was, you know, it was a whole story. Each album was its own story and its own journey. And I think, I think in film too, like, and in, uh, and in cinema and that, that concept of it, I mean, I think there's so many advancements now and you can, there's so much wonderful thing. There's so many wonderful things about, about what we're capable of doing now. But like, if you think about even the, the shooting and the editing process, when things weren't digital, I mean, you had a certain amount of film to shoot. I mean, granted, you still have a certain amount of time and days, but like each shot, I think was, you know, it was just the the process was different. Like a color color correction on film was even different. Like just the way that everything was seemed much more specific. It wasn't like we'll just fix it all in post. (laughs) (laughs) Right, it changed the art to to be able to fix it in post. Changed the art. Changed the process. Yeah, and also like there was less then that was out like there were movies were in the movie theater like tv didn't even come around until i don't remember what year but whenever it came around and in music like people had to listen to records you couldn't download anything in the world anything you wanted in a matter of seconds and just have so much at your fingertips i mean there was really i felt like i feel like it felt more curated yeah or you could no, I love that answer. I love that answer uh, because it's like <laughs> I'll bug my friends and tell them it's like I haven't heard a better R and B song uh, in the last ten years than Siegfried by Frank Ocean, and I'm still waiting mm-hmm. for someone to make a song like that that's better. And they just hate that I mention it at all. Like, <laughs> like um, I mean, I still listen to Otis Redding and Nina Simone like almost daily, yeah. all the time. 
Yeah, those are the them. classics. Yeah, like, and 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 like, the, like the, that's what I like when I like like feeling good is the song that makes me cry and laugh. Like, never mind the movie. Like when I'm feeling down or when I'm feeling really excited, that's the song I like to listen to for both emotions. Yeah, yeah, it's like. Um, you understood that as an artist, I think that you were going to be able to make one movie or you were going to be able to make one album in two years. And so every song had to count, like every, every line had to count. And, um, you know, it would be really difficult to make deer hunter today, for example. Um, cause, cause the studio wouldn't let you get away with that act one. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, the uh, it, it would be hard to make some of these classic uh, Marvin Gaye albums or Stevie Wonder albums. Like I still listen to like uh, a lot of Stevie's albums just when I just want a different Love kind you. of vibe for the for the morning. Yeah. And, um, and the reason I mentioned Frank Ocean is because he's he's this guy that exists in the download age where he still makes music the old way. And it takes a yeah. long time and he doesn't he's not constantly inundating you with songs and features. And so every song is precious and it really means something. And, um, you know, everyone else is moving along. Oh, what's the next song? What's the next yeah. song? And it's like, no. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I mean, like even in film, when someone's like, I want to shoot on real film, people are like, are you crazy? You know, expensive and time consuming. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's true. I mean, you have to be efficient with the time, obviously, to a certain extent. I think that Tarantino just did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think he did a 35 millimeter version of that. Well, he's putting Tarantino. He can do that. Yeah. He can do whatever It's so <laughs> true. Get to the point where you could be like, I am going to do it this way. And the studio <laughs> and the producers and the financiers and everyone involved is like, okay. <laughs> you Oh, man, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you mentioned earlier in this conversation that that you, you know, pulled yourself up by your by your pants straps. If that's the saying, I think that's the saying. I might be wrong on that. Someone on the Internet will correct me. They're very good at that. Uh, um, or is it about the bootstraps? You pulled yourself up the bootstraps and you taught you taught the, you know yourself how to do everything. And you've lived by this this saying that your mom taught you, which is learn the rules and then break some. And so if you had to give one piece of advice to a filmmaker, what would it be having taught yourself how to do this? Never give up. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I think that in this business, like there's so much, it is, it, it's hard and there's nothing like, there's nothing about this, that this life is choosing this life that's easy. And you're going to get kicked on, on your face and spit on. And you're also going to get people like hold you up really high in a chair. And you're going to go through all of it, probably. I mean, I don't know, but most likely. And I think that the thing is, if you really, really love it, and it's something you really, really, really are passionate about, that you just, you just keep going because you never know. You never know what's going to happen. And you never know how it's going to morph and change and how you might grow or, you know or do other things with the same thing, but differently. And I think that it's just really important to, um, to stay strong, I guess is the biggest thing and what, and what you're doing. And yes, I mean, learning the rules and then breaking some is very important. You, you need to know what's, what's really going on to know how you can maneuver inside or outside of the system. 
I mean, I had a very, you know, different experience where, you know, I've never, I've, I've been lucky enough where I've never had to work for a company or for anyone, you know, I really just kind of bulldozed my way, my way through here. But, um, but I think that, you know, there are, there are just, there are many things uh, that will come up along the way and you just take a deep breath and keep moving forward. Thank you for that. I love that. And um, it's, it's a, it's a simple thing, but put into practice in your day to day as a reminder, like, so I, in this studio, I mm-hmm. have this, I have the Holstein manifesto on the wall and I look mm-hmm. at it all the time. Do you know that manifesto? Mm-hmm. It, um, it's, it's, I have it, I have a giant, I mean a giant version of it. It takes up the entire middle space on the wall and, and in big bold letters, it says, you know, this is your life. Do what you love and do it often. If you don't like something, change it. If you don't like your job, quit. If you don't have enough time, stop watching TV. If you're looking for the love of your life, stop. They will be waiting for you when you start doing things you love. Stop overanalyzing. Life is simple. All emotions are beautiful. When you eat, appreciate every last bite. Open your mind, arms, and heart to new things and people. We are united in our differences. Ask the next person you see what their passion is and share your inspiring dream with them. Travel often. Getting lost will help you find yourself. Some opportunities only come once. Seize them. Life is about the people you meet and the things you create with them. Amen to that. So go Mm -hmm. out and start creating. Life is short. Live your dream and share your passion. And... I know that you also have a life guiding poem that was given to you. Um, I do. It's hanging in my, it hangs above my bed. I look at it every morning when I wake up. Can you read it to us? Uh, Yes, I can recite it from memory. Um, It's an ancient, it's an old Sanskrit poem and it's look to this day for it is life, the very life of life in its brief course lie all the realities and truths of existence, the joy of growth, the splendor of action, the glory of power. For yesterday is but a memory, and tomorrow is only a vision. But today, well lived, makes every yesterday a memory of happiness, and every tomorrow a vision of hope. Look well, therefore, to this day. Wow. Wow. Thank you for that. Yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah, well, thank you for yours. I mean, honestly, that was that's pretty amazing. I mean, I've had honestly, I've had a pretty intense week, and it was like that was really good to hear. Sometimes yeah. you got to remind yourself of the stuff that you're saying to people. <laughs> <laughs> well, we helped each other out there. That was that was there. Great. You go. That was great. Uh-huh. And you've been so so generous with your time, Serena. Um, yeah. I only have uh, one or two more questions for you. Um, are, are we still good? Yeah, I'm still good. Mm-hmm. All right. Perfect. 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 Um, I am wondering going back sort of to your time 
on sets, like, like you are in commercials, you are in feature films, playing roles, you are producing, you are writing. Again, we have a lot of people who are just getting into this or continue to be in this, but not find success. When you look around, what are some of the um, business or creative mistakes you see people in your role making? And what can they not do? Being, not, 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 being collab- not being collaborative. Honestly, I think that that's one of the biggest things that I see is people who are, um, look, everyone, I think it has their own vision. And I think that there are, there, you know, there are a lot of visionaries in this world and there's, there are a lot of talented people out there. Like I, that's just the reality of it. But at the end of the day, one thing that everyone wants to work with is someone who's good to work with. And I think that, um, remembering to be, um, respectful and collaborate and collaborative. I mean, mostly collaborative with people and to really be open to listening to other people's thoughts and ideas, um, is very important. And I think that that's honestly one of the biggest mistakes I've seen at every level in the business, whether it's people just starting to get in to some of the higher level people that I know. I mean, I think that that's, that's one thing that gets in the way, um, that can get in the way a lot of a lot of things is, is lack of the collaborative spirit. And I don't think that people intend to do that. I just think it's that people, you know, people really believe in, in their, their one idea, but at the end of the day, the best idea wins and that everything is worth a conversation. And I think that, I think that, that would be my, my advice would be to remain and always be collaborative. Yeah, absolutely. The marketplace of ideas is one of the fundamental tenets of filmmaking and it really takes a village uh, to, to do it and to do it well. So I, I think that's great. Are, are you, um, familiar with the game six degrees of separation with Kevin Bacon? Oh my God. Yeah. I think everyone in the world is, I mean, I haven't played it in about, you know, I don't remember forever, ago, but well, yeah. in our, in our film adult, uh, interference, which is, uh, ready for pre-release on August 17th, 2019. Everyone go watch it. Yep. Uh, in a, in a adult, what, what's what's it? What'd you say? I said pre-order. On yeah. August 17th. <laughs> yeah. Support local filmmakers. You guys talk about it. Oh, we support independence. We support No, be about it. Be about it. Go pre-order. It's a great movie. You'll laugh your butt off. Adult Interference, August 17th for pre-order. Support independent creativity and creatives. You guys will see stuff on it on the internet soon. It has our great friend Chris Green, who was on this podcast in it. It has Rashid Stevens, who was on this podcast, directed by Jackie Phillips and Stephanie Black and produced by the one and only Serena Khan. And um, uh, it has Ted Welch in it and Mike Vogel and Christine Woods. And it has Kate Upton. So I thought... Uh, I came along, I, I came across this interesting tidbit of information, Serena, when mm-hmm. I was researching for this conversation, as I oh, mentioned, no. and, I'm somehow scared and, right and, now. And, and the game is six degrees of separation with Kate Upton. And oh. do you know that in, that I can get from you to Kate Upton in one degree, even if you hadn't produced adult interference, do you know what that one degree is? So one person between me and Kate, if I was not involved in adult interference? Correct. One person or one thing, let's say, one entity. 
Because adult interference isn't a isn't a person, but it's a thing right, that connects right, you right. to right. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. What is it? Can't think of it, huh? No. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to stop teasing you. Uh, you guys in 2016. Now, just to stop me if you know what I'm about to say. Do you know? Do you know it in 2016? No. Yeah. In 2016. What year is it? 2019. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So three three years ago. <laughs> okay. Four, four, four score and seven years ago. Uh, no, uh, so three years ago in 2016, you and Kate Upton <laughs> were on the Pure Hotness 16 list. What? Yeah. So if you go Google Pure Hotness 16, you will come up on there. And uh, and and you and Kate were both on that list together. Um, and and here's the thing. And and I love I love Kate. I love what she's doing. She got 17. You got 84. Let me tell you, that's being in person with both of you guys. You're not 84. I'm just that's that's wrong. I was number 84 on some list in not 2016. Geez, I gotta go find. Yeah. Pure hotness. <laughs> on pure hotness, 87. So uh, I this list. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. I love bringing a little value when I can. So, <laughs> Serena, you've been so valuable with your time and always so fun and and sincere and. And uh, honest, um, t- tell everybody where they can find you on the internet and on social media and where maybe even they can see your work. Um, okay. I am not active on the internet or social or on social media. So, but I do, I mean, I have an Instagram handle. It's Serena 15. Um, the last time I posted uh, was maybe two and a half years ago. Uh, so I am, I'm really not very good with social media. Although one day I'm sure I'll have someone doing it for me. but um uh but that yeah that that's that's where you can you can find me i guess now i mean i'm i'm on it not active that though but i am there (laughs) Mm -hmm. and any facebook or twitter activity at all no uh i don't have i don't have a twitter account um and i'm on facebook i also have not been on in years um and i'm pretty sure my name is my name i think Yep. I think, yeah, I think you're I'm right. on there. I think it is just your name. <laughs> so most some people might make this mistake and spell your name S E R, but it's S A R E N A. K H A R E N. K H A N. So uh yeah. go out and find her. You will not be disappointed. Um if she, maybe someone out there listening can encourage her to hop on social every now and then and, and uh, if you give her something good to react to and interact with. So, uh, Serena, this has been so much fun, such a blast. Do you have any parting words for this audience? No, just thank you so much. And uh, it's been great. It's been great chatting and an inspiring conversation. Thank you. Anytime. I know we'll talk very soon and uh, get yourself some rest. Great. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. All right. Be good. Bye. Bye, Chris. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It bonsai creative if you do that the show will pop right up 
You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.